and this is week two. <laughs> so there'll be a bit more spaced out, uh, but this is week two on this series on Isaiah. Again, uh, uh, firstly, I want to apologize because I listened to a few of my sermons recently, and I say um a lot, and it was annoying me <laughs> because I was listening to my own sermons, and I say um and uh heaps, and so I apologize, and I will get better, and the Lord will bless you for still listening to sermons where there's a lot of um and er uh, and uh, and I was like, just spit it out, Dan, and so my apologies for that, and I will get better, I promise. Now start my time. How many remember in school days when they used to do pop-up tests with no warning? Or just random exams or random tests? And I, you know, I didn't care too much because they're trying to see where you're at right now. But I mean, when you study, you can get ahead. And so I, I do it. But I, I wasn't too worried if I didn't do too well because I can always say if I studied, I would have got a better mark. How many use that excuse? Well, I had a big night last night. And if I studied, I would have done much better. And, but then the real, t- <laughs> real tests come, and we have time to study, but we still, we still don't study for them. But hopefully you get to a point as you mature in your um, education that you start to study for exams and take them like a little bit more seriously than, than just you, you did in year seven. And as you study, you can have a bit of confidence, even though you know it's going to be hard, you can have some confidence knowing that you, you'll be all right. And sometimes we're a bit too overconfident. Ever been overconfident for an exam? I've got this sorted. I know every answer. They can ask anything. Then you go in and you, you don't know any of the answers. You, you struggle with name and you spell that wrong. And so we have these tests. And, and the truth is life is full of tests. And not just academically, but also spiritually. And one of the hardest tests in life is failure. Anybody had to pass the test of failure? You, you stuffed up, made a mistake. You expected yourself to be up here. But you're actually like down underneath the stage somewhere. And... And you, you had a big, big failure, and that, that hurts, and that's hard, and it's one of the hardest tests. But today, I'm going to preach on a, uh, on a topic that's harder than failure. And my sermon title is The Test That's Harder Than Failure. And you can study for this test, and I hope you do study for this test. But even when you face it, you'll realize it's much harder than you realize. And so you need to study hard. And that's why I'm preaching this now. And I will, I, I've preached on this a similar topic many times, but I, I pray that we really get this right this morning and so i'm not going to read the text straight away i'm going to break it down but i'm going to preach a sermon this morning the test as i num- number two the test that's harder than failure well my prayer is that everyone passes this test unfortunately not everyone will and this is a big issue so let's look firstly at the blessing of god in our text we're going to read a story about a man by the name of hezekiah and many of you know the story and so Isaiah is there, and look at it, he says in verse 1, he says, Dude, you're, you're dead. He says, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And that's not the type of prophecy that everyone you know, wants. The pastor calls you out and says, Brother, I have a word for you. Set your house in order, you shall die and not live. You know, he didn't have to add in the not live part. We understand what dying is. But he wants to make this clear. You are finished, you're over. And Hezekiah freaks out a little bit. Let's look at the next verse, verse 2. He says, then Hezekiah turned his face towards the wall and prayed to the Lord. And he said, remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And so he's very depressed. He's very discouraged here. But might I add, this is not the model prayer that you should be praying in tough times. You don't go to God and say, God, you need to remember that I've walked good and I've got a loyal heart and I've walked in truth and I've done what is good in your sight. That's not model prayer 101. It's, God, forgive me. I, I, even my goodness is horrible before you. And so he does this. He's basically complaining. God, I've done good and now you're giving me death. 
And he's complained, not a model prayer. But despite that, look what God does in verse 4. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. And this is an absolute miracle. He is on his deathbed. He's just about to die. Uh, he has this boil, they believe, some sort of boil that he has, and he's about to die from this. But God intervenes, and God says, no, even though this was the plan, I am changing that plan, and now you will have another 15 years to live. And the greatest blessing we all have in life is actually life. Actually, having breath is the greatest blessing. Ask someone who is dying, and, and you, they will say, I wish I had more time left. And, and the most precious thing we have is time. And God gives him the most precious thing. Another, not only five days, five months, five, five years, 15 years, he changes the course of history for this man. And everything changes because this is the blessing of God. And one truth we get from this is that God wants to bless you and I. Many people think God is like a policeman upstairs who's angry with us or is the government is always watching us and waiting for us to stuff up. But God is waiting for opportunities to bless us. Pastor Mitchell has said the Bible is God's self-revelation of himself. And self-revelation means his motives and character. And so we get God's motives and God's character from the word of God. And God's motives and God's character is that he wants to bless you and I. This is his nature. This is his heart. And God did not only heal Hezekiah and give him another 15 years, but the blessing continues. Verse 5 down to verse 8, he says, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Surely I will add 15 years. But not only that, I will deliver you from this city in the hand of the king of Assyria who was attacking them. And I will defend this city. And then it goes really deep here. He says, and this is a sign for you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken. Behold, I will bring the shadow on the sundial which has gone down uh, with the sun on the sundial of Ahaz, 10 degrees backwards. So the sun returned 10 degrees by the dial by which he had gone down. Now this is an incredible miracle. So think about this. A man's just about to die. He prays a pathetic prayer. And God answers his prayer. Not only answers his prayer, but gives him all these blessings. The first blessing, he says, I'll only give you just a bit more life. I'll give you 15 years. Then I'll defend your city. I will be a blessing to you. I will defeat the enemy for you. And just in case you, you wanted something else, I'm going to stop the earth for you. Because we read over that and that's no big deal. Think about this. God turned back the hand of time, literally, for Hezekiah. And I've been reading on this and <laughs> commentators, like when you read some commentators about the Bible, they, some of them, like, they're smart, but they're really stupid. They're like, this would have been, uh, they probably, God probably didn't turn the sun back because this would have been a really big, you know, it would have been a big deal. It's like, because God would have been like, oh, that's too hard for me to do. They, they don't realize who God is. And so think about this. God stopped the orbit of, the, of earth, turned it back for Hezekiah from a weak prayer. And all of this is just to prove his intention to bless Hezekiah. And can I tell you, God has not changed. He still wants to bless you and I today. We serve a great God and he wants to bless you. He is there for you. This is his character. This is his motivation, his unending love for us. And the Bible describes God in many ways. He's our rock, he's our fortress. But, but one of the most ideal ways that God is uh, described in the Bible is as a father who loves his children. Uh, Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So every blessing that we need, God will provide. 
And I want you to note that Jesus refers to God in many ways, but the main way he refers to God as, is as his Father. If you read through the book of John, over a hundred times Jesus mentions God as his Father. And in the other three Gospels, it's 65 times. Only 15 times in the Old Testament. So Jesus comes, he goes, I want you to change your thinking that God is not just this guy upstairs, but your Father who loves you, who wants to have an intimate relationship with you, who wants to provide for you, who wants to bless you. And Jesus teaches us that we should think about God as our Father. The, the Lord's Prayer, he starts off with our Father. He doesn't just say Lord or God. He says, address God as our Father. And not just that Jesus' Father, but our Father too. John 20, verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am descending to my Father and your Father. He goes, not just my, my Father. He goes, it's yours too. And every person, you need to think, not as an orphan, but you have a Father in heaven who cares deeply for you more than any person ever could. That He wants to bless. That He's there. He's caring. Matthew 5.16 Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Everybody here, you have a Father in heaven. Whether you have one here on earth is, 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 is not the issue. The issue is that you have a great and heavenly Father who looks out for you and protects you and blesses us. Paul describes God as a Father 40 times. Romans 1.7 To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to, uh, to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.20 Giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Disciples in the early church, again, we're, we're spoke of God as a father. Romans 8.15, it says, we cry out to God, Abba, Father, which means we have an intimate relationship with our father. Because many people think God is someone up there that you can't, you can't talk to. He's not available for you. He only talks to the pastors and the senior people, but he doesn't talk to normal people. No, no, that's not true. He talks to every single one of us, and he loves every single one of us like you are his only begotten son and, and, and daughter. He loves you with a love that can't be measured. His love is so full for us, it can't diminish and it can't increase because it is full. And this is the, the father that we have. And any normal father has the intention of blessing his children. That's just the normal outcome. You know, I'm always thinking about how I can bless Isaiah. When I was even in China, I'm trying to find him these shoes and I, I found some, but then I would look for some others and I, I need to go to these other shoes. So I had to walk around ooh, half, half a way across China trying to find these stupid shoes. But you do that out of love because you, you care for, for, for your son. It's, it's, it's natural. It is, it is a natural love. Any parent understands this when we're at the at the uh playground at fergus park on friday and so i was running across this little plank and running letting go of my hand running he's about to fall off and i'm like dude you know lucky i grabbed him a couple of times because he would have toppled but it's just a normal outcome as a father to grab hold and protect and uh, thank god that god is our father that when we jump off and do stupid things god pulls us back and, and protects us and i only think when we get to heaven we'll realize how much god was actually holding our hand when we think we were walking on the on the on the pole by ourselves and we thought hey, i'm doing pretty solid and god's holding us the whole time. And he's always there for us and he cares for us. And it's natural for a father to bless his children. Psalm 103 verse 1 to 5. Let all that I am praise the Lord. And with my whole heart I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he's done for me. And he lists the things. He forgives my sins. He heals my diseases. He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. And my youth is renewed like the eagles. He says, oh, God does so much for me. And he uses all these adjectives to explain. He does this and he does that and he forgives and he heals. And he does all these, these things for us. And he does this in many, many ways. How many of you have been blessed physically? 
Bible says, by his stripes, we have been healed. I pray for a lady in China who had, had knee. This old lady had prayed in her knee. She was just walking, hobbling. I prayed for her, and afterwards, she's like squatting and jumping, and then she bowed. I was like, no, no, don't bow. Like, it's, a, it's all right. But she was so happy to be healed. Like, she thought I had to bow before God or something. But, but God wants to heal. God blesses us. He wants to heal your physical body. Not only physical, but deeper than that. He wants to bless us spiritually. Psalm 86.5, For you, O Lord, are good, ready to forgive, abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. And this is the greatest blessing of all, that God can heal you spiritually. Because many people are walking around spiritually wounded. And from our sin, we've totally separated from God. But one prayer of repentance brings us back to our Father together. Not only physically and spiritually, but also emotionally. How many thank, are grateful that God's healed some, some mental demons in the, in, the brain, in the brain, in our heart, and these emotions that were playing, all, all sorts of things. But God brought us together. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. That is the blessing of God. That is from God's throne. What about also financially? Many people here, you have been blessed. Actually, every person you've been blessed through God, through financial blessing. Proverbs 20, uh, 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, not I, I work hard. Well, who gives you the energy to work hard? Who gives you the breath to work hard? Who gives you the ability to use your brain and to think? It is all through God. Deuteronomy 8.18 You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. He blesses us physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, but also He gives us uh, abilities that we can use. God gives us giftings, abilities, and talents that we didn't have on our own. Can you think about God using you to save someone from the pit of hell? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. That God can use me for, for, to help others. But God gives us the ability to reach out and be a blessing. And this is the greatest blessing you, you, you have is that God has given you these abilities to use our filthy rags and turn someone to turning away from the devil and serving Almighty God. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Nothing. And we need to really grasp that revelation. Because many people think I could do a lot of things without Christ, but with Christ, He's like the cherry on top. No, no, Christ is the whole cake. You're, the, you're not even the plate. You're not even the air. The air is His. And every breath that we have, it's from God. The reason you woke up this morning is because God allowed you to wake up. Use your brain is because of God. And some people, I don't know where God's gone a couple of times, but most of the time you're using your mind is because God gives you that ability. And in fact, every blessing, everything that you ever have, is a blessing that is received only from God. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. I love this, that everything we have is from our Heavenly Father, who blesses us. So remember to count your blessings. What's the, the quote? Count your blessings, name them one by one, and you will see what the Lord has done. Remember your blessings. You should write down your blessings. You should, you should remember when God answers your prayer. Because God answers many prayers and we forget about them the next week, right? And so we remember these. You know, Hezekiah was healed, but it's mentioned three times in the Old Testament that God healed Hezekiah. I find that interesting. That God has to mention three times, look at the blessing that I gave. So this is firstly the, the blessing of God. And some of you are saying, thinking, wait, this sermon was called the test that's harder than failure. That's right. So let's look at point two. Let's look at the test of God. The story of Hezekiah starts off great. But unfortunately, it doesn't end well. The, next, the very next chapter, the king of Babylon comes and wants to talk with him. Sends him some letters. And um, Babylon 
It's a no-brainer because Babylon is the enemy. And I'm going to touch on Babylon a little bit tonight. But Hezekiah this knows it's not right. He knows he shouldn't be talking with Babylon. He shouldn't be hanging out with the king of Babylon. But look what he says in, in uh, Isaiah 39.2. Hezekiah was pleased with them, with the king of Babylon, which is wrong, and showed them the house of his treasure. So he brought Babylon into his house. The silver and the gold, the spices, the precious ointment, and all his army. And all that was found among his treasures. And there was nothing in his house or in his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. And this is wrong. You should not be opening your life to Babylon. You should not be opening your life to the enemy. And Isaiah finds out and he's pretty upset. And God gives him another prophecy. It says in verse 5, And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, you know everything that you had, and all that your fathers have accumulated to this day, everything that you have in your own life and everything previously, everything you showed that you, that you were proud about, shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. Jesus, God said, I'm taking everything, says the Lord. You shall take away. And he goes, not only that, he goes, I'm going to take away some of your sons who will descend from you and who you will beget and you shall, they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. There's a big, your family's stopping taking away your children you have no more heritage no no grandchildren and your family name stops here and look at hezekiah you think you'd be broken right remember he was going to die he weeps bitterly look at verse 8 and hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the lord which you have spoken is good <laughs> what he said for at least there'll be peace and truth in my days church the test that's harder than failure is the test of prosperity. It's much harder than failure. And Hezekiah failed the prosperity test. Before, he would weep and, and pray and cry out before God. Then when God blessed him, he was grateful. Look at verse 15 of Isaiah 38. Now I will walk humbly throughout my years. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's funny how humble we are when God blesses us, like initially, when we're about to die and God saves us. Because of the anguish I have felt, Lord, your discipline is good and it leads to life and health. You restore my health. You allow me to live. Yes, this anguish was good for me. That you have rescued me from death and forgiven all my sins. For the dead cannot praise you. They cannot raise their voices in praise. Those that go down to the grave can no longer hope in your faithfulness. Only the living can praise you as I do today. And that was his problem. He praised God today and his praises stopped. Now he's no longer grateful but prideful. Can I just say... His blessing became his curse. And it took away his wholehearted devotion to God. For many people today, the blessings that God has given you can become your curse. Because it's so easy to forget where you came from, right? And just like Hezekiah, I believe the worst thing that God does for people is bless them. Because they forget about God. They forget where they came from. As I, uh, sorry, 1 Samuel 25, the story of David and Nabal. And Nabal's a very rich man, and David is out in that area. He's looking after all these people, and he looks after Nabal. He, he looks after his men, he looks after his sheep, and he's, he's, he's protecting him uh, in these times. And now David's on the run, and he sends his men over to Nabal, says, can you just help my guys out? And he sends a messenger over to David. And look, look at Nabal's response. Remember, Nabal's been helped, and he's very rich. So there's not a, it's not like he's got no money to help. He's extremely rich. He's got thousands of animals. 1 Samuel 25, 10 and 11. The Nabal answered David's servants and said, ah, this, this lion, it tears me apart. 
Who is David? Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each from his master. Shall I? And then look, look, then he again focus on himself. Then I shall I take my bread, my water, my meat, who I have killed for my shearers, and give it to men that I don't know where they are? Nabal, you don't know David? You knew him when you needed protection. You knew him when you had no money. But now you need to give something. You don't know David anymore. Many people act like Nabal, man. They get blessed by God, get put in a wonderful church, all sorts of blessing. And they act like, who's God? What has God done for and then preach sermons like I preached last week about being committed to God. And they get upset. Why do I have to be committed to God? And you fail the prosperity test. Proverbs 30, 8 and 9, I love this. He says, remove falsehood and lies far from me. And then he says this, this is interesting. Give me neither poverty. And we all pray, don't, I don't want to be, have poverty. But he goes, don't give me riches. Feed me with food allotted to me lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? And lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. He says, God, don't make me too rich because I might forget about you. The question I have, church, can you pass the prosperity test? How do you remember before you got saved and you were broke? Tithing wasn't a big deal because you only had five bucks. So tithing of five bucks is no big deal. You were generous. Two bucks. I'll give God, I'll give God whatever he wants. I'll chuck the whole five bucks in. Not a big deal. Then God blessed you. God got you a good job. And then all of a sudden, tithing. I've got a, Pastor, I've got a bit of an issue of tithing. I have to say, I've always had a little bit of an issue. No, you didn't have an issue when it was five dollars. But now God's given you some decent money. All of a sudden... I struggle. And it's painful. Why is it painful? Have you forgotten the Lord? 1 Timothy 6.17 Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. How many people trust in their money today? Which is so unreliable. How good is this? Because their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. I, I challenge young people very hard on, on, on giving and being generous to God. And the reason I do that is because I want them to pass the prosperity test. You know, some people, I tithe to, you know, some, I tithe to the, the kids in Africa and they can help. But the Bible says, bring all your tithes into the storehouse of God, into the church. It's not supposed to be here, there and everywhere. It's supposed to be in God's house. And, and money's a big issue. Many people start serving God when they're broke and when they're, they call up, they, I get phone calls, do you, do you help the poor? Do you? And we try and do all that we can and people are desperate. Remember you got saved and you're desperate for God. You need God to move and you're not sure how you're going to make ends meet and, you're, all this, and God blesses and God helps you and then God gives you all these things and He gives you promotions and things and, and, and possessions and all these things. And then sometimes it's, it, all of a sudden offering time, we get short hands. Even though God's given us deep pockets and we can't reach in anymore tithes and offerings and pledges all of a sudden it's like man this and, and you get you and it's sore it wasn't a problem before but the prosperity of god has come and it's changed 
Someone said, if you can't handle your money, you can't handle your destiny. How about we go a bit deeper? Remember when you didn't have a job and you came to every service? Remember you were open to God? But now you have a job, job and now, Pastor, I'm, I'm tired. Can't make it. Who got you the job? When I pray for people, I tell them. I'm very clear. You've heard me. I ignite prayer. I say, listen, let's pray for a job. If you promise to put God first and you promise to tithe, I'll pray for you. If you don't promise me those things, I'm not praying for you. Because I pray for a lot of people to get jobs and they get jobs and that's it. They disappear. John 3:37, And Jesus answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. Everything you have is from God. So the question is, can God trust you with blessing? Because God wants to bless. But can God trust you with blessing you? You know, I bet it hurts God. Have you ever had someone change on you? You remember that when, they were, when they were younger or they were poorer, they were really nice? They were really generous? They'd come over, they'd be, yeah, they'd be fun and everything they had, you sort of, everything is everyone's, right? And then after a while, they change. And they're no longer the same. Because blessing changes people. Success gets to their head and they think it's about them. I bet it hurts God when he releases blessing on his children. Then they turn away from him. And we start serving the blessing rather than God. The blessing is nothing to God. Well, people serve God until they get their blessing and then they, they gap it, right? Bad people in the Footscray Church, they, they served God, they were hundreds for God, disciple of the year, everything. Then they got married and then... So that's all they wanted. And they stopped. They're no longer serving God today. Remember when you first got into ministry? Butterflies in your stomach. You were involved. You were here early. You prayed. You got everything ready. You're so humble. Are you still humble? Are you still giving it your best? Are you still grateful? Deuteronomy 8.10 says, When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God with the good land which He has given you. Because when, when, you, when you've got everything... Make sure you bless the Lord. Don't be like, I've got everything, so I'm all good now. And I read these statistics this week. I'm not going to get into it. But in smaller churches, a higher percentage of people get involved in smaller churches than in bigger churches. It's crazy. In the smaller churches, everyone gets involved. But as the church gets a bit bigger, we get blessed. It's like, I don't really need to do it. Someone else can do it now. It's a bad mentality. In Macau, man, I felt for him. It's like the lady setting up the sound gear. This old lady, the one that hurt her knee, she was trying to carry the chairs. I'm like running over to stop her. Everyone gets involved. Remember when you were a weak Christian? Remember when you needed church? Not, why should I come to church? Why should I come to church? Remember when you needed church? Remember when you needed a pastor? Remember when you needed friends? Remember when you needed prayer? But now you're strong. You don't need it. You don't need it. No longer humble. No longer submitted. And can I tell you, the most rebellious people are the most blessed people. Because they don't, they don't recognize God. They think they did this. This is like King Uzziah, right? I've used him many times. He's a great, was a great king. Invention, won every battle. Second Chronicles 26, 15 and 16. And he made devices in Jerusalem, invented by skillful men, to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. Like this guy invented like the catapult. So his fame spread far and wide. 
This is scary when people start, their fame starts getting far and wide. For he was marvelously helped by God until he became strong. Isn't that a horrible verse? Oh. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. And to his destruction, he transgressed against the Lord, his God, by entering to the temple of the Lord to burn incense, to the altar of incense. This is scary, man. Because, so he's the king. He's not supposed to be the priest. He's not the priest. He can't touch the, the, the priestly things. But he gets so angry, he runs into the temple and he starts touching the, 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 the priestly things, the, the utensils that the priests use. And he grabs it. He starts doing what the pastor should be doing. Because I'm, I, I've been ble- I'm strong. I can do this. I don't need them. I can do it. And the Bible says, as soon as he touched it, that leprosy started on his forehead. And I love this because it shows the toughness of the priest. The Bible says the priest grabbed him and threw him out of the temple. I was like, get him, right? But then he was leprous all over and he lived an isolated life and he died alone. Because he couldn't pass the prosperity test. So, uh, you know, some people, it's better that God doesn't bless them. Because they're really nice when they're broke. They're really nice when they don't have everything in life. Because success changes people. Well, it doesn't really change people. It just magnifies what's already on the inside. And if that's already a little bit on the inside, man, a little bit of money, people change. Have you read all these articles when people win the lotto and then their marriages break up? Ruins their life. And I know your dream is to win $23 million, but that could probably be the worst thing that ever happens to you. Probably the best thing that ever happened to you is that you stick with $23 and you still depend on God and you don't forget the Lord your God. Don't forget God, church. Don't, don't be, your commitment to God should never be going backwards. Should never be going backwards. You've taken that one step, you're already there, my friend. <laughs> it's like being less committed to your spouse. That's weird. Like, like I said last week, none of you would complain that I preached the sermon on being committed to your husband or to your children. I'd say you should be all out. And I say you should be all out for Jesus Christ. What if, what if God blesses our church and we have the greatest revival that ever happens in all of history? Will we still be humble? Are we still humble? You know what, like in our pastor's seminars in Potters House, we have, many, we have these once a year. I try and go to them as many as I can. And they're always encouraging and strengthening. But they all, there's always one sermon there that says, I'm trying to think of the nice way to say it. It's like, just don't be an idiot, basically. It says, be humble. You know, some, some, some people, they're Christians, they get strong. And so after a while, they, they, don't, they don't speak to their pastor. They haven't spoken to their pastor in years. Now, I need a pastor today more than ever before. That's why you hear me in my reports at conference. Thank you, Pastor Elliot, for answering your phone. Because I need help. What if God answers your prayers? Is that, you're done? You're good now? You got, you got whatever the God you wanted, whatever's on your heart. I just want a family. I just want a husband or a wife. I just want money. I just want a house. I just want a car. I just want a good job. I just want, and if you get all, you just say God gives you all of them. What if God stops the earth for you? Will you still be humble before God? Some people, man, I love them. I love, I, I, people I love with all my heart. And I, I wish God didn't bless them. Because now they're nowhere. They are, they are nothing like they used to be. And they failed the test. Some people I wish God didn't answer their prayer because I used to really like them when they were humble. It's amazing what a little bit of success can do to someone. So let's close with passing the, the test. 
exam time is always stressful. But it's good going into an exam prepared and knowing that you've put in work behind the scenes. And even though the test is hard, trust me, church, you can pass the test. You can pass. You can. God can bless you and you can stay humble. You just need to be prepared. And if you prepare your hearts now, you'll be ready. For whatever blessing comes, you'll be ready. So the antidote against failing the prosperity test is simple. The antidote is this. It's your focus. Okay? Your focus should never be inward. Because Hezekiah's focus turned from, from God, I just want to serve you, to, hey, if, my, if all my children become backsliders, who cares, as long as I'm all good. That's a big change, right? And all he cared about was himself, as long as there's peace in my life. So, two things you need to focus on. Number one, focus on serving God. When you, when you focus on the greatness of God, <laughs> you realize how worthless you really are. <laughs> Think about God who made the heavens and the earth. I, I struggle to make scrambled eggs. You know, like this God is, is on another level. I can't create anything. It, we, we, me and God aren't on the same level. We're not even close. We're not even in the same hemisphere. We're not even the same galaxy. I, I'm not close. And I said this in Bible. Lab. Remember, you, none of us here are hot stuff. You're all amazing people. But when God enters the room, none of us. We're all super cold, frozen. Right? Think about John the Baptist. Listen to what Jesus said about John the Baptist. Imagine, imagine Jesus said this. Matthew 11, 11. Surely I say to you, among those born of women, of women I, I like that. Among those born of women. Like, born of what else? Like, what else? I don't know. But I, I just like that random. What do I mean? Born of a horse? Or <laughs> what, what it's like. Among those born of women... There is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Now imagine if Jesus walked into church today and said, Out of all women, born of women, you are the greatest. I'm sure a few of you would be like, I'll get the MP3 of that one and I'll make it my ringtone. And did you hear what, you know, you know I'll put it on my social media. Did you hear what Pastor Jesus said about me? And That's a big statement. Out of the billions that have been around on earth, you are the best. And look, look at um, John the Baptist's response in Mark 1, 7. And he preached saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, I love this, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. Because I'm not even worthy to tie Jesus' shoelaces. And Jesus says, you're the greatest. But he says, compared to Jesus, I'm, I'm not even a slave. I'm not worthy to be a slave. He passed the prosperity. He realized how unworthy he was before God. John 3.30, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Another translation says, he must increase in importance, while I must decrease in importance. That's a good prayer. Add this to your prayer list in the morning. God, I pray that you increase in importance, and I decrease in importance. It'll be a great prayer. How can we be prideful in the presence of God? Everything we have is from him. It's like me buying you some clothes and you're like, man, I look pretty swag in these clothes. I'm awesome. But someone bought it for you. It's not even yours. Think about Abraham. He prays for a son for years. He's 100 years old. God gives him a miracle son. This is like 20, 30 years later. He has Isaac. and tw Isaac's 20, 30 years old. And God tells him, I want your son back. The greatest blessing that he has. He goes, give it back to me. And do you know what he says? He goes, yeah, okay, straight away. No worries. Immediately he obeyed. The next morning, he got the wood, immediately went on the journey to sacrifice Isaac. And he gets Isaac, this big boy. 
ties him down. Gets everything ready. Gets the dagger out. He is, he's passing the prosperity test. He goes, what I have is nothing. It's God's anyway. And then God calls out and says, don't, don't do it. He tested Abraham. So the question I have, church, is whatever God gives you, can you give it back to him? Realize it's not yours. You know, I love this church with all my heart. This church is not mine. It's not my church. It's your church, really. And whatever God calls me to do, I'll do that. I hope not. But can you pass the prosperity test? You know, praise God should be coming out of our mouths a lot more. You know what the name Hezekiah means? It means God strengthens. Can you remember that? When you're strong, God strengthened you. And you remove God, and immediately you're weak. Actually, on our strongest day, we're still weak. Never forget, it's God who blesses and God who strengthens. And focus on serving God when you are blessed. I pray, I pray, you've heard me say, I say it again, I pray God brings millions of dollars into our church so we can buy buildings, we can send impact teams, we can be a blessing to others. But God, don't do that if we're going to change. Don't, don't do it if, if we turn into selfish people. So number one, focus on serving God. Number two, focus on serving others. One of the greatest story in the Bible, we know, David and Goliath. It's such a cool story. I'm doing a whole sermon series from it. And he defeats Goliath. And think about this. The Phil- if the Philistines won, the Israelites will be slaves to the Philistines. It's like the whole Egypt thing all over again. Now, this, this is not like a one-on-one battle and uh, you get bragging rights. Imagine you went to fight, and if you lost this fight, all of New Zealand will be slaves forever. Now, who wants to go jo- do the, the fight? You know, not many people. You're like, nah, not me. Give it to someone else. And then you go up to the fight, and the guy is six feet taller than you. You've never fought once. And he's got all this armor and you've got a rock. And everyone's watching you. No pressure. If you stuff this up, all the Israelites are going to be slaves forever. And we understand he wins. He defeats Goliath by the grace of God. What does David do afterwards? Does he go parading himself? Holding, holding on to, Saul, uh, 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 to Goliath's head. Hey, everyone look at this. You know. The Bible says he was on his way back to mending the sheep, looking after the sheep far out far out imagine if God gave you the greatest blessing the biggest blessing you've done ever but then you, you the next Sunday you're back in your ministry back in your place back serving God back praying everyone's singing his praises Saul has killed his thousands David his tens of thousands he'd be like yeah I'm pretty he said nah that's not for me and remember he's, he's been anointed to be king he says you know what I'm, I'm back to where I need to serve I need to serve over here this is my spot and I'm going to look after these sheep. I'm pretty dedicated to these sheep. Because he passed the prosperity test. Because he kept serving people. Church, what keeps you from, from going weird is your compassion for people. And people. People ask me a lot, Pastor, what keeps you going? Obviously, it's, it's these two things, loving God. But, ah, man. Imagine looking people in the eye and telling you, listen, I'm not serving you anymore because I've got a bit of money now. I can't look you guys in the eye and do that. I pray I can, never can. But it's your love for people that keeps you going. The disciples, they're arguing about who's the greatest. 
imagine Jesus. I, if I was Jesus, I would have punched the ball in the head at that point. You know, I've, I'm here for only three years. I'm about to die tomorrow. And you're wondering about who's the greatest. Bunch of losers, right? And so look at what Jesus says in verse 25. And Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord over people. Those who are great exercise authority over them. He says, Yet it shall not be so among you. I love that, that the one line. Yet it shall not be so among you. Should, you should not be lording over people. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Jesus says, you want to be great? Serve, be a slave. I've said this many times. Joy is Jesus first, others second, yourself last. That's the only true joy that Jesus brings. If Jesus is first, that is getting right. Others have to be above yourself. So that ends my sermon this morning. And I want to end with this question. Can you pass the prosperity test? Just say Pastor Mitchell talks about oh, the only hunger church a bit more. Just say people hear about our church. Just say we have a great revival. Just say we have all these people getting saved. Just say we send out churches. Will you become great in your own eyes or will you still be humble? Someone said humility is <laughs> humility is conquering Everest and not telling anyone about it. Can you stay humble? Are you humble? Because God wants to bless. And if you can stay humble, you can receive all the blessing that God has for you. Don't let God only give us 20 bucks. He says, because you can't handle anymore when he wanted to give us so much more. Don't let us say, your church can't grow anymore because you can't handle having more people. Some of you, you, might, you, some of you are going to pastor one day or be pastor's wives and, and, and your churches will grow and be great. Your churches might be bigger than our church. Would you still be humble? God blesses your ministry. God gives you great grace and favor in the eyes of many. God answers all of your prayers. Will you still be humble in his presence? Will you still serve God and serve others? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray.